0: There are so many ways to improve a relationship, and perhaps no single thing has a greater impact on how connected you feel in your relationship than the way that you communicate with your partner. And there are so many ways to improve communication. However, not all the ways that you improve communication will necessarily help bring you closer to your partner, especially when you're in conflict with each other. But even when you're not, when you're trying to communicate about loving, caring, amazing things, there are ways to do that that actually bring you closer. And then there are ways to do that that just don't have as much of an impact. So I took the top three things that you can do to improve your communication in relationship, and I made a guide out of them. They're easy to follow. And once you put them into practice, you will notice a big change in your relationship for the better so um right because why would you do it if it was for the worse so i encourage you to visit neilsatin.com slash relate that's r-e-l-a-t-e or just text the word relate to the number 33444 and follow the instructions and you can get my free guide Uh, it's the top three relationship communication secrets all right on with the show Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. Now I have a question for you, which is, do you get confused about how All of this talk about attachment theory and creating safety and and closeness with your partner, how does that match up with some of these other theories about sexuality that you have to always be keeping things new and different and challenging in order to keep things exciting and charged with your partner? If you're confused about that, then today's show is for you because we are going to go straight to the heart of the matter as to why creating an amazing, safe container for your relationship and shooting for... Maybe shooting isn't the right word, but aiming for <laughs> secure attachment with your partner. Why that is actually a vehicle for lifelong passion and really uh, intense, charged, exciting, erotic connection in the bedroom and out of the bedroom. So on today's show... We are going to be talking with Dr. Sue Johnson, who has been on the show before, and she is the founder and creator of Emotionally Focused Couples Therapy, which is sometimes called EFT, and the author of Love Sense, The Revolutionary New Science of Romantic Relationships, as well as Hold Me Tight, Seven Conversations for a Lifetime of love. She is one of the world's leading researchers on couples therapy and on attachment. And she is here with us today to talk about how attachment and sex work together. Um, As always, we will have a detailed show guide for today's episode. And the way that you can find it is to go to neilsatin.com slash sue, S-U-E, and then the number two, because I think the first time she was on the show, we used neilsatin.com slash sue. So you want to go to neilsatin.com slash sue. To. And uh, you can find the show notes there. You can download them, any relevant links. You can also always text the word PASSION to the number 33444 if you're here in the States. And uh, I will send you a link so you can download the show guide for this episode and all other of our amazing Relationship Alive podcast episodes. All right, that's enough from me. I'm really excited to dive into today's conversation with Sue Johnson. Sue, thank you so much for joining us again here on Relationship Alive.
1: You're welcome. I'm very happy to be here.
0: Now, it's early in the morning, and we're going to start talking about one of my favorite topics, which is sex, and just why this context of creating safety is so important for a, a thriving uh sexual sensual emotional connection between couples and um well between the <coughs> members of a couple um so i'm wondering if you can create a context for this conversation what what are the like competing theories out there about w- what helps uh a a couples relationship stay sexually exciting over the long term
1: um, well, there isn't really – it depends what you mean by theory, Neil. Um, really, the theories out there about sexuality have sort of completely ignored um, relationships. It sounds strange. But, um, for example, um, my colleague Sue Carter just recently became the director of the Kinsey Institute, which is the big, big mecca in the U.S. for um, research on sex. And she's an attachment researcher. She studies a bonding hormone called oxytocin. And she put out um, a press release that Kinsey, for the first time ever, was going to start um, looking at sexuality in in terms of relationships. It was going to include relationships in the study of sexuality. <laughs> and there was the most enormous reaction, um, you know, um, People like Dan Savage, who writes a lot about sexuality in New York City, um, basically started howling and saying that, you know, what was this? Was this somehow um, just a conservative approach to um, sexuality? And um, I thought it was amazingly interesting because, in fact, the theory of relationships and the science of relationships has sort of not really taken account of sexuality and understanding sexuality haven't taken account of relationships, which is a bit silly when you really look at the fact that we all know sex can be recreational and it can happen in a lot of different contexts. But the bottom line is that for an enormous, vast number of people, the regular place that they have their sexuality happening is in a long-term relationship. So it's kind of fascinating. Um and I think it's time that we fixed that and we started to really put sexuality and relationships together. We, we started to look at, um, you know, what really happens in the bedroom. You know, Peter Ustinov was an English actor, very popular many years ago. He said, sex is a conversation by using other means, by other means. And I think that's a useful image because if you think of sex conversation, and I say to you, um, do you think you'll have a better conversation if you feel um, safe with the other person, connected to the other person, um, that you can play with the other person, that they'll um, sort of respond to your cues, so there's a flow between you, you would say, of course, of course, it's obvious you'd have a better conversation. Um uh, and But if I put it in terms of sexuality, we seem to have got caught up in this sort of idea that familiarity is going to kill desire, and that in order to have a good sex life, it's almost like a feeling safe and connected with somebody is actually a disadvantage. You know, there are people who actually sort of put forward that point of view. I want to state right away that um, that's a cliché. And there's no research that says that, none. Uh, And in fact, what we know from the survey research that comes out of places like the University of Chicago, which I think is the best survey research in the world, we know that the people who report having best sex, have sex most often, and find it most thrilling are people in happy long-term relationships. (laughs) So, you know, um, it's an interesting thing that this debate keeps raging, I think, the reason it sort of got going is because um we have an understood relationship and we we haven't been able to differentiate between what we call sort of familiarity, which is could be very, very disconnected. You know, it just be like living in, with roommates with each other. Um, that can be familiarity. We haven't distinguished that from the kind of comfort and connection that happens in secure bonding.
0: So what I hear you saying Sue is that there's this distinction between familiarity which is the this ennui that can set in in a long-term relationship where people are just kind of tired of each other and and not really connecting yes. ver- versus what happens when you're actually safe and fully connected and alive and present with each other.
1: That's right. And you know, I think um, really we need to we need to help people in the public as therapists we need to help people understand the difference um, you know and all the research is that uh, securely connected people people who have what we call secure attachment which is what we help people create in emotionally focused couple therapy um, we're all about helping people create these deep moments of emotional connection that really change their relationship and um, what we find when we do that is that people tell us that their sex lives improve. You know, it's it's not a strange thing. One of the things you can one of the ways you can think about it is we know that the most basic element in secure emotional bonding is emotional response. We know this from hundreds of studies of mother infant bond and partner to partner bond. Um, in, you know. What you have in a secure bond is emotional openness, accessibility, responsiveness, and engagement. What we call A-R-E, accessibility, responsiveness, and engagement. And it's kind of the answer to the question, are you there for me? A-R-E, are you there for me, is the million dollar question in relationships. And if you think about that, um, if you are emotionally accessible, responsive, and engaged, with someone, when it really matters, and um, you can rely on each other to be that way. If you have that kind of connection, it translates to the bedroom, and you are more accessible, responsive, and engaged in the bedroom. And of course, that results in better sex. It's, you know, it's it. When you really look at it, it's kind of obvious. I think the point has been that we haven't really understood how sex and bonding go together. And we haven't until very recently understood attachment relationships and what bonding is all about. So, you know, we need to, as Kinsey says they're going to do now, as Sue Carter and Kinsey says they're going to do, we need to put relationships and sexuality together in a way that makes sense because sexuality is a big part of people's long-term relationships. And, you know, we have, it's one of the things we all struggle with. And we really need, as, as therapists, we really need to help people understand that.
0: Yeah, and just as a reference for you listening, um, we did have Sue Carter on the show back in episode 37. And um, though we steered away from the controversy, it was it was kind of fresh, hot off the presses at the time. And uh, so we steered away from it. Um, and, and then also I had mentioned that... Um, sue that you were on the show and that was episode 27 so just so everyone knows and um so now i'm curious about novelty because where does yeah where does novelty factor in That seems to be a buzzword around how to keep things exciting in the bedroom
1: yeah well i think um it's, it's an interesting one that because my sense is working with all these years and also from looking at bonding research and the new research that's coming out on sex bonding, um, which I talk about in the in the talk on my website, drsujohnson.com. Um, I gave a talk a few months ago at the Networker and I've taken that talk and I've put it on my website so you can see what I'm thinking about there. But, you know, of course novelty is great, but what we see is, Novelty is, you take it out of context, it doesn't make sense. You know, novelty happens, it's like play. So an attachment researcher would say that um, passion, sexual passion, is the longing for connection. That's an emotional piece. The longing for connection, um, twinned with attunement, being responsive and engaged with each other, and therefore the ability to play. And where the novelty comes in is in spontaneity and play and being able to talk to somebody because you feel safe with them about your your sexual needs openly, being able to talk about any sexual issues, problems openly. But your passion, if you look at it as longing, attunement, and erotic play, that's where the novelty comes in. This is sort of, I think, novelty where you, if you really are engaged with somebody and you're able spontaneous with them, every time you interact with them, there's a level of novelty. You know, you never, you never, the closer you get to somebody, the more you know that you can never know them. It, it's sort of, your ultimate intimacy is unattainable. And there's something there that just keeps long-term lovers, if they're securely connected, really engaged with each other. It's kind of interesting because it's mimicked. By um the bonding hormone that's put out an orgasm, oxytocin. Oxytocin, one of the things oxytocin does, apart from give you that wonderful calm feeling of belonging and closeness and sort of, you know, that sort of high that we associate with sexuality, it also shuts off habituation centers in your brain. So it's like nature has found a way to team up sex bonding in a way that can shut down. Um, habituation and I think habituation which is what people are really talking about familiarity that really comes when people aren't really engaged with each other they're kind of taking each other for granted they're sort of skimming the surface they're not really engaged and from our point of view then their emotional connection is going to suffer and you know um, then they can't even talk to each other let alone play so we take these things out of context in the in the pop press right now. Play, you know, eroticism or no? Let's change that. Yeah, novelty. Um, people talk about how oh well, novelty means that you know you sex is bound to be boring unless you find all kinds of sex toys or unless you find all kinds of um, strange positions or unless you do sadomasochism. Um, that's kind of a, an external view of novelty. And if you look at the sex literature, the people who are most into that are people that we call avoidantly attached. They're people who actually focus on sensation and performance of sex and are not tuned in at all to their partner, and they're not tuned into their own emotions. They're, they're, they're not tuned into being close. They want to focus on sensation and novelty. The thing about that one is, I mean, um, we all do that at times, but if that's your habitual way of making love, um, the research seems to suggest, people report that that becomes kind of empty and you need more and more sensation and performance in order to keep up any kind of sexual arousal. So, you know, and then what happens usually is, the other person starts to, begin to feel used. In many instances, the other person begins to feel, well, I'm you're not with me at all. In fact, this is just a performance to make you feel like you're incredibly sexual, or this is just a performance to give you a better orgasm, and things start to go really wrong. I think the trouble is we haven't had, until recently, we haven't understood the connection between lifelong um, adult partners and we haven't been able to put our understanding of sexuality into that. So we've found we've sort of looked at little pieces of the elephant. If you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We've looked. We haven't seen the whole elephant. So I'm suggesting in my in, and in my talk on my website that, hey guys, for the first time ever, we have a map to the whole elephant. Maybe an elephant's a, a rather strange image in this case, but we have a map to the whole thing. We do understand um, love and attachment bonding in adults, romantic bonding, and we can put sexuality into that picture in ways that make more sense of bonding, and more sense of sexuality. You know, it's um, it's a fascinating one. I mean, I feel like it's, it's really revolutionary that we can, if we put things in context and everything comes together and suddenly, sexuality makes more sense, and relationships make more sense.
0: Yeah, and we will have a link to the uh, the text of that talk that you gave in the show notes. So, if you're interested in in reading that full talk, it's very it's fascinating, and it's it summarizes a lot of what we're talking about here. So, we will ensure that we have a link to that for you.
1: I just want to use one image which I used in the talk because I like it a lot for the whole thing about novelty. Great. Um, Great. In the talk, what I said was, if you think about thrill, think about an image of thrill, think about being on a zip line. Well, if you're on a zip line and you know that you're tied in and you totally trust the person holding the line and you know you're safe, then you can let go and go whizzing across a chasm, and you can yell "wee," and you can spontaneously just let yourself go into that thrill experience. If you uh, didn't know who was holding the zip line, and you weren't sure that it was going to hold, would you be able to let go and go into that same sense of thrill and adventure? I don't think
0: so. Right, and it it conjures up for me an image of like an adrenaline junkie like you might still do the zipline and it might be a thrill but is it something sustainable that you would do over and over again or that's right. you know or if it if it became something that you did over and over again can you imagine that that's really kind of chasing the 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 high of that moment versus something that's actually going to work for you over the long term
1: right you know, and this thing about safety and thrill, um, this the research suggests that this may be particularly important for women because women are very, very vulnerable um, in, in lovemaking. I mean, just physically vulnerable, right? So women are very vulnerable in lovemaking, and the research suggests that women, their bodies can become aroused, And they will still tell you in it, you can look at this in a brain scan, that they don't feel desire. So there seems to be kind of a leap for a man when his body becomes aroused, it's like his brain follows and he's aroused. He says, I feel desire. With women, the body becomes aroused and then it almost seems like there's a gatekeeper in the prefrontal cortex where the woman checks out, is this, the prefrontal cortex switches on and the woman checks out, is this safe? Is it safe for me to be in this vulnerable vulnerable position with my body open, with this much stronger being, right? Actually penetrating me, is it safe? And um, then when the woman checks that it's safe, then she experiences desire. So it's very interesting and it makes sense. And what I tell my couples, I talk, them about this research and I say you know what this means, and I talk to the guys usually, is this means that if you want to turn your partner on, the very best thing you can do is to spend a few minutes talking to her, helping her feel safe and connected with you Um, talking to her like you do to your six year old child to make her feel safe when when you want her to come and play with you talking to her making her feel safe you know, that conversation um, actually quietens the women's prefrontal cortex and then allows women to go into an explicit experience of desire. So it, that's very, very interesting. And that's Omri Gillat's research. He's an attachment researcher who looks at sex. And that's, it makes total sense to me. I mean, not that it happens you know, just like that every time, of course, but that makes sense to me. So I think for women in particular – This safety, the safety of the bond um, as a a prelude to, you know, really good sexuality is important. If you have a secure bond, sex is a, a safe adventure. You can play and you can be spontaneous and you do feel safe. And the thing that I love about that is it seems to me that it means that passion never has a best before date. Passion can always be renewed you know, in a long term relationship you lose connection emotional connection and you can re- you can realize you're you're not connected you can readjust you can turn back to each other you can repair rifts well i think that's the same in terms of physical connection you can fall in love with somebody again and again and again in a long term relationship and you can fall into passion with them again and again and again in a long term relationship so This putting together sex and bonding and understanding how they go together is amazingly positive for long-term relationships. Um, From my point of view, it's a lot more positive than everybody deciding that um, sex with the same person is always dull after the first six months. And the only way to keep passion alive is to have larger and larger sex toys or more and more extreme sex. I think that's a dead end,
0: personally. So this brings up a couple questions for me. The, the first question is, so let's say I'm listening to this conversation and I'm in a relationship. Um, now, this isn't actually true for me, um, but I'm, I'm curious for your advice for someone listening where things have gotten kind of boring. And I feel like, well, I, am, I'm, I feel like I'm safe with my partner and things are dull. So what do I do?
1: Oh, I would suggest I'm gonna this is gonna sound really mundane, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> but the first thing you do um, is you talk about it openly and i have worked with couples for thirty years and people don't. Okay. What the irony of ironies is that our society is saturated with sexual images and you know, porn and sex is is sort of everywhere except in people's intimate conversations. My experience with couples is um, even when, it's not just when they're distressed, because obviously I see distressed couples, um, even when they're they're improving their relationship and they're starting to feel good, and even sometimes when they're about to leave, um, people don't want to talk about their sexuality. It's still, it's funny. There's different levels to it. It's still very private and it's a place where people Are very vulnerable. So the first thing I would do is talk, get them to talk about it. And um, most interestingly, I remember cases where I've worked with people who have been abused as children sexually. And for them, adult sexuality is um, a very, very, very difficult situation where, um, on one level, they want to feel connected. Person, and on another level, there's part of their brain that is screaming that this situation is potentially traumatizing. So, I've helped those folks have conversations, and it's always fascinated me, you know, how much people don't tell each other, even you know, in relationships where they now feel safe and connected, they don't tell each other. So, you know, I can remember conversations where um, the man would say, "Well, you know, I I don't quite understand." It seems like if I come on to you, it takes you an awful long time to warm up to me and I end up feeling strange and sort of rejected. And then his lady struggles like crazy. And then she says uh, with her face full of um, fear and shame, well, I don't know how to tell you. I've never known how to tell you. But what you usually do when you come on to me is you come up behind me and you, you grab hold of me and then you turn me around and you kiss me along the lips and he says yes I've, I've done that for years and she says well um and I've never told you that when you do that um I go straight into being four years old because that's what my uncle used to do to me all the time before he abused me and you know this is distressing for her partner and it's distressing for her but when people start to feel really safe and emotionally connected They can start to actually talk about their sexual experience, share it, and say, look, this really turns me on. And, you know, I really like this. And this really doesn't turn me on. (laughs) You know, and I don't want to reject you, but, you know, this really doesn't turn me on. And we still have a very hard time doing that. So I would suggest you talk to your partner. um, And, you know, what is it? about you that turns your partner on, not just in the bedroom, but, you know, in um, in your everyday life. Um, like, I'm sure my husband won't mind me talking about this, but um, one of the things that turns me on about my husband, I've been married to him for 28 years, is his voice. His voice, okay? And I think it's because when we first got together, we had a telephone relationship for about four months. So, you know, he can, and he knows this, right? He he can talk to me in a very particular way, in a soft, deep voice that I find completely um, intoxicating. Okay, completely intoxicating. But you know, I had to tell him that. I mean, he, um, he, you know, he would basically his idea of sexuality was that there was a certain point where you just became silent. <laughs> right. right? And so, you know, if you think about that, that's pretty common. You know, it's kind of like we sort of moan a little and give noises. But And so for me to be able to say, hey, you know what? It's like when you use these phrases or when you talk to me in this low voice, it's like beyond sexy, you know, just beyond anything, right? I really? Yeah. So a lot of it is sharing... And, and, and also this emotional closeness I mean um you know people write to me and they tell me we read your book Fight. we started having these conversations and I can't believe what's happened to us in our in our um, relationship but also in our sex life we just feel freer we feel we play more you know we um and and i've i've asked things that I would never I've asked my wife to wear sexy lingerie and I, I somehow, I would never ask her to do that before, but I have, you know. And so people can talk about things that are very close and very intimate. Um, for example, I remember one of my clients talking about, He was a pretty sophisticated client and she talked about the fact that there is something in sexuality which, where women, um, not all the time, Women, there's something about submitting to your partner that is very sex. And this woman wanted to talk to her partner about this. But she was very clear about it. She said, you know, for you to, um, you know, hold me a certain way, I feel sort of like I can just relax into your arms and submit to you and that sex. But when you do this other move, um, that doesn't. Bring up the desire to submit in me. In fact, um, it feels awkward, and I feel somehow confined. And some part of me just wants to, start to fight you. So listen to how intimate these kinds of conversations are, and people don't know how to have them. Um, I'd suggest the very best way to have better contact in the bedroom is actually to be able to have close, intimate, loving conversation, an emotional conversation, an open conversation. You know, um, uh, there's a beautiful piece of research, I think I quote it in my talk that's on the website, a man called Horton, it's old now, uh, it's one of the first pieces of research I ever read about sex, and what he found was that if you look at what predicts the success of teaching sexual techniques to people who are having a hard time in the bedroom, like sensate focus, which is teaching people how to... Touch, you know, and um, safe touch and arousing touch, and really sort of ease them into sexuality. What his research said is um, the success of that you know, whole coaching intervention was completely predictable by the level of the couple's communication before they ever went into the coaching. So, and that, and my response to that is, of course, of course. So, communicating about it, sex is an amazing act of attunement and coordination when it works. It's an amazing, you know, I dance Argentine tango, and so I always make the comparison. Why is Argentine tango sexy? Well, you know, there's silly sort of theatrical tango where the women put their legs over their head like that. But if you look at a really sexy tango, you pick up on the amazing attunement between the couple. It's the contact where all the fire is. It's the, it's the, it's the interaction where all the fire is. What's happening between the couple? You know, and you pick up on that. And that, that's the magic of it. It's like sort of like you need the emotional music to create, um, really optimal sex. You know, um, sex without the emotional music is, is just one dimensional. But imagine dancing with no music. It just sort of doesn't work. I think I'm rabbiting on here, but I think you're getting the idea.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and even that I, I'd like to offer a, a little adjustment because my, my partner and I and regular listeners to the podcast know this. We dance, we actually dance at least once a week. And, uh-huh. um, and the kind of dance we do is typically done to music, but we, it can also be done in silence where you're just totally in tune with your partner and moving yeah. and, and creating structure between your, your bodies and, um and, you know, between us, it's a, it's a regular way to recharge that, that energy. And what was immediately coming up for me in what you were talking about was the importance in a couple of seeing the big picture that, um, that what's happening in the bedroom is more than likely simply uh, uh, a um, an extension of what the rest of their relationship is like. How much play right. is there in the rest of their relationship? How much how much sensual connection do they enjoy when they're not having sex, but simply um, ex- you know exploring um, each other you know throughout the day? That's right. Um, That's right. So but, you know, it's, go ahead.
1: It, we we haven't understood relationships, so we want quick fixes, and that's what the media is into giving you quick fixes. So people say, "Oh, your sex life isn't so good with your partner." So here, go and you know, do this sadomasochistic technique. Or, right. Watch this TED talk,
0: which is only 19 minutes long, and
1: and then you'll know. Right. And you know, and and you know, really, what we're saying is, no, sexuality is a lot more. Um, has a lot more depth to it than that. You know, and picking up, your, but the other solution, which is look at everything in context and look at your whole relationship and how you dance together. Well, people haven't wanted to do that because, to be honest, we haven't really shown them how until recently. Yes. Um, we haven't yes. really been able to give them a, a map to um, what relationships are about, sexual relationships are about. You know, it's, and I guess what comes up for me is talking about dance. Um, in tango, Argentine tango is very, very difficult dance. It takes about eight years to really sort of be able to do it. And um, one of the fascinating things that happened to me, happened to me was that after I'd been dancing for about three years, I danced with a man I'd never danced with before. And, you know, you, there's certain rules. You don't stop in the middle of the dance floor and tell somebody about their dancing. It's an absolute no-no. But this man did. So he, he stopped in the middle of the dance floor and he said to me, what are you doing? <laughs> and I said, I said, I'm dancing tango. And he said, no, you're not. And I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> he said, you're, um, completely focused on the steps and predicting the steps. So he's telling me you're focused on the outside. Right. Hmm. And I, I looked at him and he said, um, you can just walk with me and do brilliant, sensuous, amazing, engaged tango. The secret is in the connection between us, not the step. The secret is in the flow between us, how you respond. Do you respond to the slight pressure of my hand by turning? And do you make it your own turn or do I, you listen to how fast I want the turn? And do you stop where I ask to stop? And then do you do a new move that I respond to? And I'm standing there saying that sounds an awful lot like sexuality, right? <laughs> but he's what he's basically saying is the secret is in the connection between us and the flow of energy between us, not in the step. And I thought, hey, that's really interesting. But you can't sell a magazine saying what I just said. You sell a magazine with pictures that arouse or quick tips, and quick tips are things like, you know, um, you know, this sex toy works better than that sex toy. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the point is, it's not enough for, for us to help people have rich sex lives and sex lives that they can stay. It's just not enough. And
0: this This is going to maybe seem like a little bit of a left field question, but I'm curious... Because it, I think it comes up in dance and it obviously comes up in life and it's connected to sex, which is the question of jealousy yeah. and where, where do you think jealousy arises and what is the the EFT approach to a couple where one partner is, is in that place of, of being jealous about something that the other partner is doing, um, and I, you know, I recognize we could do an entire episode on jealousy. So, you know, this we don't have to do that. But but I'm curious. And in particularly in light of tango, because you're describing that you're, for instance, tangoing with another man. And what you're looking for is this really um, if in tune, attuned connection yeah. that, as you said, is almost like sex in in that re- regard. So, um, yeah. So take it away. What do you where does that lead you? <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, jealousy is all about a sense of threat. You're threatened because, you know, when you're jealous, you're threatened that your partner is giving their attention or to another person instead of you, that your partner is somehow, um, you know, interested in another person in a way that, it, that they could turn away from you. So there's a sense of threat there, right? And... Um, Certainly, I think jealousy comes up in you know things. One of the reasons why your partner having an affair with somebody else is so threatening, most folks, is that there is a threat to the bond. There, there is a you know what do you mean? You you turned away from me. I wasn't in your mind. You didn't think about the impact on me, and you chose to go and have this potentially intimate bonding connection because we know that sex is the doorway to bonding. OK, you chose to go and have this potentially intimate connection with this other person, even though you knew it would hurt me. I decide I don't really matter to you. That's terrifying. So and then jealousy comes up. And I think it's pretty wired into our brains because the emotional bonds we have with the people we depend on are so core. They're so core to who we are. They're wired in. And that's what I talk about in all my books and in my book, Love Sense. They're wired into us. We know that from all the bonding research. So that's what jealousy is about. But um, I think it's a question of level here. You know, people look at tango, for example, and they, they see it as a sex dance, and it is when it's done as theatre, which is what most people most most people see. But um, you know, but I think it's a, a question of level. You know, um, I mean, my husband has watched me dance tango and, you know, he knows that I'm sharing this moment of particular kind of intimacy and play with this other person and there's a physical element to it, but it's a sensuous element and it's structured by the music and it's on the level of play. You know, it's not, um, you know, um, tango dances don't dissolve into orgies. (laughs) (laughs) no. Uh, no no they don't. No, people as one of my my friends that I danced with said to me he said you've got to be kidding. That so when I'm when I'm dancing tango especially with a good dancer I am so immersed in the music and the beat of the music that comes into my body and tuning in um, and sending you messages and having you respond that I really wouldn't have time to actually get around. You know that, that that's <laughs> just too difficult right? So There's different levels of this, but I still think the, image is, the dance image is a useful one um, to look at sexuality, you know, and especially emotional music. If you it's the emotional music that adds depth to the dance and sort of interest the dance, you know, yeah. if you look yeah. at it, there's so many elements of sexuality, you know? I think the thing that perhaps bonding science says that is really revolutionary for people that they have a hard time with in terms of sexuality, is that um, we believe for years from Freud that sex and aggression were the most powerful instincts in our species. And what John Bowlby, father of attachment science, said came along and said was, no, the most powerful Bonding, the most powerful instinct in our species is to reach for another person and get them to respond, is to, is emotional connection. Because we know when we're born that, it, and when our brain is developing, that if we call and no one comes, we die. And that need for emotional connection is absolute. Um, emotional isolation literally kills people. We have a big uh, fuss going on here in Canada about um, solitary confinement because um, it's become pretty clear, in uh, and people are horrified by it, but why would they be horrified, that if you put somebody in solitary confinement and leave them there, they start to go insane, basically. It's intolerable to people. It destroys them from the inside out. And Bowlby talked about how emotional um, isolation is a risk factor for every, every sign of mental maladjustment and illness and actually it links to physical illness as well because it stresses you out so the flip side of that is that this connection is primary and that gets tied up in our sexuality in in, um, adult relationships but what Bowlby really said is there's three needs in an adult relationship, bonding and attachment, sexuality and caretaking and what he said is that um, the attachment is the most basic core level and it defines the other two. And um, in some ways, it's much more primary. You can live without an orgasm. I don't think you can live, and you certainly can't live well, without close contact with others and human affection. And hey, actually, that's interesting because the Dalai Lama said that as well. Um, I was listening to one of his talks the other day. He said, man can live without meditation but he can't live without human affection Mm. this connection is so important you know if we and if we as social scientists and therapists clinicians can help people understand their love relationship that's an enormous gift and if we can also help people understand the connection between sexuality and relationship um, you know and so we help people actually understand something Passion, um, you know the potential here. The potential here is enormous. You know it 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 takes sexuality and broadens it. It makes it huge and fascinating and interesting. Rather than my point of view, what we so often do or have done is we've, in our attempt to open it up and be less um, restrained or oppressed sexually, we've actually narrowed it down to sensation and performance, to, you know, how do I get more sensation, you know, how do I look hotter, you know, and and that feels like one-dimensional sex to me. As I said before, from our point of view, uh, my point of view as a bonding theorist, that's what we call avoidance sex, and the research says that in the end, when you don't want the emotional connection and you're just going on the level of sensation and performance, you actually report you enjoy sex less, you have less, less sex, you're more and more into one night stands, uh, you know, sex becomes one dimensional. And yeah. then in, and yeah. then indeed it can become boring.
0: Yeah. And and I think your talk that we, we mentioned, and again, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And if you're, if you want to download the show notes, just visit neilsatin.com slash sue2, sue two s u e and then the number two, Or text the word passion to the number 33444 and we'll send you a link so you can get the show notes and a link to this talk. Because that discussion of the different attachment styles and how those translate into sexuality is so fascinating and and I think will be really helpful for people. Um, Sue, I'm wondering, I have one last question for you and we're, we're getting close to the top of the hour. So I'm going to honor that time commitment. And the last time you were on the show, the episode 27, we called it breaking free from patterns of conflict. And so I'm Uh wondering, I'm wondering if we can just have one last coda on that theme for today's episode and, and talk about, um. It, so, if I'm listening to this show and I've and I feel like okay, I'm sort of I'm stuck. Like whether it's boredom, like we addressed earlier, or maybe we're in this kind of pursuing distancing relationship in regards to sex, with like a, an imbalance in terms of one partner wanting it more than the other. Yeah. Those sorts of things. But basically, if we wanted to break free from a pattern of our sexuality and do it in a way that honors attachment and safety. What would you suggest as like a first or a first and second step that someone could take? And and I'm I'm going to ask you to try to limit your time um, because I know you have somewhere to be. So um,
1: that's so, okay. Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, well, what we would do is what is what we do when people tell us we're having problems emotionally and we can't connect and we're having fights in general. What we would do, we do the same for issues in the bedroom. Usually we help people talk about their relationship and create more safety in their relationship before we get them to talk about sex. And I think that makes sense in the light of all the other things I've said here in this talk. But then we help them look at their dance, their sexual dance. What happens in their sexual dance? We help them understand the pattern. You know, what is the pattern? Often in relationships, um the male, the male partner might be rather more emotionally withdrawn or not quite as good at talking about their feelings as the female partner, but in the bedroom, the male partner will be the pursuer, the one who starts things, the one who initiates. And female partner is, if things are not going well, female partner is more sort of in the withdrawn position. And, you know, the more the man pursues sex, the more the female partner somehow feels um, somehow put upon or not seen and the more she shuts down and the more she, and the man feels she shuts down the more he gets upset and the more demanding he comes everything starts to go wrong I'm just giving you an example of how it goes wrong um, so you know that's a common one and we help people look at their patterns what is the dance you do and we just help people map, map out the steps how does you? How does how do most of your sexual encounters start? Um, then you do. What do you do? And we just help them use verbs. You know, while I go up to her and I I I sort of push her up against the wall. And that look at the word. You push her. Yeah, I push her. And and if you were going to actually put it into words, what would you say? I would be saying, "Come on, um, let's make out," right? <laughs> and so and then I say to the Woman, what happens to you when he says that? And she says, um, what did he say? You know, she, <laughs> she's, she's looking out the window right now. right? And I said, and I sort of repeat it. And she says, yeah, he always says that. He says that. But listen to her voice. I said, sounds like you go somewhere else when he says that. He says, yeah. I said, well, what happens to you? She said, oh. I said, how are you feeling in your body? And she says, nothing. I said, well, what what are you saying to yourself? You know, I'm trying to track her experience. And she says, oh, I say to myself, there he is again. He just wants an orgasm. Right. I say, and what do you want to do? She says, um, want to do? Oh, I usually go along with it because it's easier. But what I really want to do is I just want to turn away from him and say no. Right. But I don't because it's going to be a big fight. Mm -hmm. So then we track. That and we say, and this is what happens in your dance and you're caught in this dance and it's taken over your sexuality and it makes it hard for you to feel close and connected and engaged and that makes it almost impossible for you to be passionate together and to tune into each other and coordinate these moves into synchrony, into what we call I call in hold me tight, synchrony sex right? this really great sex it's impossible because you're stuck here so they talk about their pets. And they talk about the emotional music. You know, he says, well, you know, the only time I know that you love me is when we make love and you have an organ. And what he starts to talk about is that he's actually frantic to know that she loves. And this is the only way he really knows how to get that feeling going. So he becomes real pushy around sex. And she doesn't see his frantic need for or connection with her, she just sees him pushing, right? So everything starts to go wrong. And he starts to talk about how he's never sure that she really desires him and that she loves him. And she actually starts to have some empathy for that. So we change the emotional music and we create more safety. Then when they have safety and they can communicate on a different level, then we help them look, have a more open, engaged, Responsive conversation about, well, you know, what what is fun for you in sex? If you could have great sex, what would it look like? You know, what 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 is your sexual fantasy? Have you ever? Couples don't tell each other their sexual fantasies Is my experience. You have to feel safe to do that. So, it's an, it was, We're saying the same thing. We're talking about feeling safe and opening up to each other and sharing on an emotional level that then allows you to be. Accessible, responsive and engaged engage on a sexual level and that is a kind of lifelong adventure is the opposite of boring or mundane you know it's like um, um, safely connected long term partners who can play and make this connection in sex um, they don't talk about being bored you know um, they just don't if you listen to them it's sex right. is just a place to play.
0: They're too busy dancing.
1: Too busy dancing. What a lovely way to put it, Neil. Yes, they're too busy dancing. <laughs> the neat thing about this is we can really look at what creates optimal sex here. Not just what we're sold by the porn industry who only want to make money, let's be clear, they don't care about our sexuality, they just want to make money. Um, you know, we can really look at what creates great sex here, right? And and You know, you can use sex for lots of things. You can use sex for comfort. You can, yes, sometimes you just want an orgasm and a release. But I think the exciting thing about this science is that it really helps us understand how sexuality works in relationships. And we can, we're now at the point with bonding science where we can help people have great lasting relationships and a great, great erotic life together. Hey, that, that has to be good. That just has to be good.
0: Yeah. And what I love about it too is that I think for many people, they don't really know what they, what they want and what they like sexually because so much of their sexual tastes have been the product of this kind of haphazard, um growth if you want to call it growth that happens over the course of their lives. And yes. so being able to bring it back to this invitation of being being safe with each other and then free to play and be curious and explore. You can yes. totally relearn what excites you and what turns you on and and that, it may not even be what you think it is.
1: And that is a beautiful point. That's a beautiful point. Thank you for that. Um because you know the research that Safe, safe connection. Having someone who you can really turn to and connect with, who you know loves you, helps you explore on every level. Whether it's out in the playground or in the boardroom, or in the gym, or mountaineering, or to your own emotions, or in bed. The research that secure connection with another person helps gives us confidence and helps us be curious and explore is unassailable it's just the way our brain works so what you just said is brilliant thank you for that yeah
0: absolutely and and thank you so much sue for again for coming on the show sharing your wisdom um again i can uh, we will have a link to sue's talk on attachment and sex also huge recommendation for sue's books hold me tight and love sense which um, are just such thorough approaches to understanding yourself in relationship, yourself in love, and how to make steps to break your patterns and experience what we're talking about, this safe, connected play and spontaneity to keep things alive. So we've gone a little bit over where we said we, were, we would, and Sue, I just so appreciate your generosity with your time and your wisdom, and uh, it's always such a pleasure to have you here with us on Relationship Alive.
1: Hey, Neil, nice to be
0: here. Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com podcast. Or you can always text the word passion, P-A-S-S-I-O-N to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do.